Let's turn back over to John chapter 13, and I want to go back to the verses that I was using last night. Specifically, let's look at John chapter 13 and in verse 34. A new commandment I give unto you that you love one another as I have loved you that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have loved one to another. And last night we covered a lot of materials. I just want to zero in on trying to understand how God has loved us. As I said last night, you can't give away something that you've never received. Only a free man can set another man free. Only a person who has really received the love of God can give the love of God to other people. And if you haven't got a real revelation of it yourself, then you're just going through the motions. And that's what 1 Corinthians chapter 13 talks about, that if you uh, speak with the tongues of men and of angels and do all of these things, but have not charity, or that's specifically talking about God's kind of love, you are a sounding brass and a tinkling cymbal. You're just making noise, but it's not real. And this is where a vast number of people in the body of Christ are. They are trying to imitate what they're hearing some of the leaders in the body of Christ say about how you should do it. They're going through some of the motions, but it just doesn't ring true. It doesn't have the power in it because they themselves have not really understood and received the love of God. And so it just doesn't release the supernatural power of God. And so he says here that we have a new commandment that we are supposed to love one another as he has loved us. Or you could say it this way, that you first of all have to receive this love and understand how much God loves you before you can love other people. Amen. And so again, there's, there's so much to say on this. I'm not going to be able to cover this this morning, tonight, and tomorrow morning. But what I want to start emphasizing this morning is to emphasize the unconditional love of God for you. And I want to really emphasize that. We, we can say that easily, but in reality, most of us tie God's love for us to something good in us. We really think that God loves us because we're lovely. And that is not true. And you have, I believe that to really get a true revelation of the love of God, and I'm saying this from scriptures, I'm going to be sharing a lot of scriptures with you, but I'm also sharing it from personal example, that you first of all have to get a relative understanding that you do not deserve the goodness of God. If you don't think that, it, and I know that this is offensive to a lot of people today because our society is really promoting a self-worth and a good image in all of this. And even churches are teaching people how to have a self-worth and a good image in all of this stuff. I believe in, in uh, you know, self-esteem, but really I believe it's more accurate for the Christian to talk about Christ-esteem, who Christ is in you. And the thing that gives my life value is the fact that God Almighty loved me so much that He gave His Son to die for me. You know, really, something is not worth anything more than what people are willing to pay for it. You could have something that you could say, oh, this is worth $1,000. But if nobody's willing to pay $1,000 for it, it's not worth $1,000. Then you could have something else. You've seen these road shows where they bring in something that looks like it's old and it's not worth anything. They bought it for $5.00 at a garage sale, and it turns out to be worth $50,000.
And so the worth of something is what people are willing to pay for it. And the thing that gives your life and my life worth is not your accomplishments and not what you have done, but it's the fact that God Almighty thought you were worth sacrificing His Son to redeem you and to bring you into relationship. And that ought to be where we find our total worth. That was a great place for you to say amen. And I know that there's many of you thinking, well, now, wait a minute, that sounds good in preacher terms in a church service, but in reality, I've got worth because, and most of us find our worth in all of our accomplishments. Did you know that that's a recipe for disaster? Because as Arthur taught this morning, you are going to need a mulligan sometime. You are going to need a do-over. You will make a mistake. You know, when I got started in ministry, nobody would listen to me. Nobody would come to my church. And so specifically when I was in Childress, Texas, we were holding church five nights a week. And we only had like 20 people, maybe 30 people. The largest crowd we had was about 60 people coming to church. And uh, during the day, uh, I was looking for ministry opportunities. So we started going into jails and into nursing homes. And I found out they'll let anybody go into jails and nursing homes. They didn't care about who you were and how qualified you were. And it was good for me because when I started going into these nursing homes, I met people who at one time were the movers and the shakers of their community. And yet now, here they were getting old, and as their health failed, all of their self-worth was tied up in what they had done. And now that they had been put out to pasture, these people were just struggling. I remember one woman in particular that this woman, every time you went, she was always decked out. I mean, she wore nice clothes. Her hair, every hair was in place. She had on nice jewelry. She always looked good. You could tell she was a very proper woman. She used to be a a Methodist pastor's wife. And there was a time that she was the most influential person in that town. They had the largest church. Everybody looked to her. Everybody was impressed And she was riding on the crest of that. But here she was getting older. She was put into a nursing home. And it had been years since any of her kids had come to see her. And this woman would dress up and look nice every day. And she'd just sit there and cry. And every time I'd go in to see her, she'd cry and tell me about how how she used to be somebody important. How people used to respect her. How her life used to be something good. And she just would sit there all day long and cry and just bemoan all of these things. And it was good for me because I saw that here's a person that at one time was the admiration of everybody. But you may not like this. You may not feel comfortable about considering this. But unless Jesus comes back soon, every one of us is going to be in a position where you will be past your prime. And you are going to be on the other side. And you're going to be diminished in your ability to produce in all of these things. And if your self-worth and value and what makes you tick and gives you joy and peace is tied up in what you can do, then you are a train wreck waiting to happen. You're going to go out with a whimper instead of go out with a shout. And sad to say, brothers, this is where the vast majority of people are. They are finding their worth and their value in what they do. And they may even give God credit and say, Oh God, I know I couldn't have done it without you, but it's Jesus plus you. And I tell you, that is not it at all. 
Let me just share some scriptures with you. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. You know, when I minister on these scriptures, I always get some criticism. Because again, we are in a society that everything is all about. You've got to have good, positive self-esteem and you've got to feel good about yourself. And I always have somebody criticize me when I read these scriptures. Amen. And yet this is scripture. I think I said chapter 2, but it's in chapter 1, verse 26. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26. For you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God hath chosen the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty and base things of the world. And things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not to bring to naught things that are. Here's the reason that he did that, that no flesh should glory in his presence. God didn't choose the mighty, the strong, all of these things to be able to use. God has chosen weak things, base things, people that don't have it all together so that when he flows through them and it works supernaturally, he gets the credit instead of the vessel that he used. And yet, how many people are just constantly trying to promote themselves and they're always trusting in their own ability? In a sense, that is a hindrance to God using you. Thank you for that one. That's right. This doesn't bless a lot of people. But I tell you, it is so satisfying. It's so secure to know that God didn't pick me because I was the sharpest knife in the drawer. That he chose me because I was base. I was despised. I was nothing. And God looked at me and he says, man, I could use this person because if I can get... If I can work through them, they don't get the credit. All of the credit goes to me. It's like a person, you know, mechanics nowadays, they hook your car up to a machine and this machine tells you anything that's wrong with that car and diagnoses it and tells you exactly how to fix it and you just push some things in and it fixes your car. You know what? When you leave that place, you're talking about the machine. But you go to a little old shade tree mechanic and all he's got is a box of wrenches and he can fix your car and everything works. You look at it and say, what a great mechanic. God wants to use us, but we first of all have to empty ourselves of us. The beginning of God is the end of you. And until you come to a place where you recognize that God didn't love you because he saw you and just couldn't do without you. You were so awesome. That he had to have you. You were like a feather in his cap. I mean, he saw you as somebody special. And I know that by me saying these things, there's some of you that are taking offense because I am special. You tell your kids from the time they're little that you're special. And that's true. You are special because God loves you. But you aren't special because of what you do. You are special because God has created you. God has chosen you. And it's when you empty yourself of yourself and allow God to flow through you that you really begin to start understanding His love. As long as you think God loves you because you are lovely, it diminishes God's love. Look at these verses in Ephesians uh, chapter... Where is that? Chapter 2. Chapter 2. 
In chapter 1, it talks about your eyes being open to what's already on the inside of you and how that God set you in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus far above all principality, etc. And he's talking about Jesus in chapter 2, verse 1. He says, and you hath he quickened. The word quickened means made alive. Who were dead in trespasses and sins. Again, people read through this and they don't really meditate on this. And they think, well, I wasn't really dead. My life was okay. I heard a woman on television one time being interviewed and they said, how did you find the Lord? Was your life messed up and were you in trouble or whatever? And this woman says, no, really, my life was just awesome. She said, I had money. She was a society person. She was beautiful. She says, my life was just great without Jesus and Jesus was just the icing on the cake. And when she said that, I think, I, I'm not sure you're born again. I'm not sure that you're saved. I'm not saying that everybody has to have gone through prison or gone through something bad. But according to the scripture, we were all dead in trespasses and sins. You were separated from God. God is life. And without him, there isn't any true life. Whatever you think you were doing and whether you were the, you know, the super jock of the school and whether you were the most likely to succeed and whether you made money and born with a silver spoon in your mouth or whatever the advantage that you had, I guarantee you without Jesus, you were a mess. And you have to come to that place to recognize that the Lord didn't redeem you because you were really good and all you needed is a little bit of help. You have to recognize you were dead in trespasses and sins. You were separated from God. You were on your way to hell. Some people are on their way to hell in a, in a Rolls Royce and other people on a, on a motorbike or a, what do you call those, a skateboard. <laughs> Amen. You know what? We were in different degrees, but we were all headed to the same place. And unless you come to a place of recognizing that Jesus, I was dead without you. I didn't have a future without you. You were about to crash and burn. You won't fully appreciate how much God loved you. God didn't love you because of some worth as far as what you've accomplished. Matter of fact, I'm not going to take time to turn over there, but it would do you, it'd do you good to turn over to Exodus, or excuse me, uh, where is that? Ezekiel 16. And the Lord is talking to the nation of Israel, and he's talking about how he found them. And he said, you were like a child that was born. And in the day of your birth, you weren't wrapped in cloth. You weren't cleaned up. Your umbilical cord wasn't uh, cut. But instead, I found you laying in the dirt, polluted in your own blood, forsaken. Nobody wanted you. And I cleaned you up and I took you in. And the purpose of him saying all of those things is to say that you were forsaken. Nobody loved you. The nation of Israel, Abraham, nobody would have picked Abraham. God picked Abraham, not because he was the sharpest knife in the drawer, but just because God chose him and chose to bless him. And Abraham began to respond. And it's the same thing with all of us, whether you have that revelation or perception or not. The truth is you were not worth redeeming. Amen. Some of you, I'm offended at that. That's the reason you don't understand how great God's love towards you is because you think, well, you know, anybody would have redeemed me. I really was worth it. You know, God could have destroyed the entire human race and have, caused, uh, have avoided a lot of pain and suffering. The Lord didn't owe it to us. 
It was His mercy and His grace that He loved us in spite of who we were. In the next verse, it says, Wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, that spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. This says that you were demon-possessed before you got born again. Did you know every person before they're born again has a spirit of the... uh, of the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. Every person who's not born again has Satan working in them. You know, this whole terminology about possessed and oppressed and depressed and all that isn't scriptural. The Bible just talks about demonized is what the word literally means. And before you were born again, you were by nature the the children of of the devil. That's what the next verse says. Among whom also we all had our conversation in time past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the spirit, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as other. You were by nature. You were born with a nature separated from God. You were born with a demonic spirit working through you. The lust, the things that you did that hurt people, the way you promoted yourself, It is completely against everything that God created men to be. Every one of us were dead in trespasses and sin. We had a spirit, the spirit of this world working in us. Our nature was against God. We sometimes don't see this because we compare ourselves among ourselves. Scripture says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12, I believe it is, it says, but they comparing themselves among themselves and measuring themselves by themselves are not wise. And so we compare ourselves with other people and we think relatively I'm okay. I think I'm a really good person and so God saved me because he knew that my heart was right. He knew I was trying my best and so God just made up the difference. No, that's wrong. The truth is all of us have sinned and gone astray. We have all turned to our own way. There is none good. No, not one. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And on and on and on. I could go about that. If you could see things from God's perspective, brothers, we were in a mess. And our own pride and arrogancy is terrible. People categorize sin and talk about homosexuality as being a terrible sin, and I believe it is. I'm not whitewashing homosexuality, but I believe that the sin of self-righteousness, thinking that you are an awesome person and that, man, God is so blessed to have you on his team. I think that's worse than homosexuality because, in a sense, what that is doing is saying, Jesus, you aren't enough. I didn't have to have all of your blood for me. I'm not like some of these people that didn't have anything going for them. I'm a really good person and I just needed a little help. I nearly got there on my own and all I needed was a little bit of help from you. That is the worst sin of all because you aren't understanding that Jesus paid it all. You didn't pay for some of your sins. You didn't atone for some of the things that were wrong with you. We were absolutely destitute. There was no way of redeeming ourselves. We were all damned, every one of us. And there are people right here in this room that have never had that concept. You've never seen yourself totally, totally, totally helpless and that you needed Jesus 100%. And that's one of the reasons that you haven't understood how great his love is is because you think that, man, I was worth it and I was... I was really something that the Lord wanted. And so in a sense, uh, 
He bought my salvation because he wanted me so bad. No, he loved you, not because you were lovely, but because he is love. Amen. Matter of fact, in the very next verse here in Ephesians, in verse 4, it says, But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together, with Christ, by grace ye are saved, and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Verse 10 is the one that Arthur used in the first service. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. Man, these are powerful passages of scripture. But God commended his love toward us. Romans chapter 5 verse 8. God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Man, that's powerful. You know, I think it's the amplified translation of this fourth verse. I'm not sure. But it says, but God who is rich in mercy and stuff, in order to satisfy his great love, commended his love towards us. It wasn't because God saw in us something that was so awesome that he had to help us reach our full potential. Mankind was absolutely devastated. Is that it? Would you put that back up there? I missed it. Because of and in order to satisfy the great and wonderful and intense love with which he loved us. That's the reason that he commended his love towards us. It was because he was love. God loved us completely independent of any worth. God wasn't better off and richer for redeeming us. It didn't add to his worth. It, there wasn't any angle in it for him. The only thing that he got was a bunch of misfits who had totally messed our life up that now we love him and appreciate him and thank him and serve him. And you know what? That's all he wanted. He just wanted your love and uh, acceptance. He loved you so much. He wanted you. And if you could ever understand that, that it has nothing to do with your goodness, then I think that the love of God would become more real to you. You know, in my personal experience, this is the progression that the Lord used. This is what changed my life. I got born again when I was eight years old because I heard that I was headed to hell. And I remember uh, after a morning service when my pastor taught a message on hell and he did a tour of hell. I remember this message. And he talked about that Adolf Hitler would be there and all of the bad guys but then he started mentioning some of the famous people, some of the people that you look up to, that they were also going to be in hell. And he started talking about good people were going to be in hell. And man, this bothered me. And I remember at eight years old, I went home that afternoon and asked my dad, I said, what does this mean? I said, I thought I was a good person. I never thought I'd go to hell. I said, am I going to hell? And my dad explained the gospel to me and told me that all of sin and that, yes, we are we deserve to go to hell. Even you at eight years old deserve to go to hell. But Jesus died for you. And if you'll accept his forgiveness, you can be born again. And I got born again at eight years old in my bedroom with my dad praying with me. And I was truly changed. The next day I was made fun of for being a Christian in the third grade. My friends could tell that I had changed. 
I was changed. I got born again. There is zero doubt about it. But then I went to church and I became a religious person. And I was taught that if I wanted God to love me, I had to do these things. And I loved God and I wanted to serve him. And so I started doing everything and I became a religious Pharisee. And I was doing more holy acts than anybody I knew. And that's not a prideful statement. That's just the way that it was. I was leading two and three people a week to the Lord when I was 13, 14 years old. And you got to remember, I was an introvert. I couldn't even look at a person in the face and talk to them. And for me to do that, I had to force myself. I did it because I was trying to do something to earn God's favor. And anyway, I was doing all of these things. And then on March the 23rd, 1968, I had this encounter with God where God just popped my bubble and he showed up. And I don't know how to describe this, but it's like um, the veil of our physical stuff that block us from really seeing and understanding and perceiving God. It's like it was just pulled back and I saw the glory of God. And I saw how awesome God was and at the exact same time saw how much of a hypocrite and a Pharisee I was. You can go to Scripture and you'll see this every time in the sixth chapter of the book of Isaiah when Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up, he immediately fell on his face. Oh God, depart from me. I'm a man of unclean lips and dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. When Peter saw the glory of God, he pulled his fisherman's coat unto him because he was naked. That didn't mean he didn't have any clothes on, but he just began to recognize his unworthiness in the presence of God. Anytime people got into the real glory of God, instantly they knew that, man, I'm not like this. But we compare ourselves among ourselves and we get to feeling real smug and think, man, I'm better than my brother or sister in God is really pleased to have me on his uh, team and what an what a awesome job. No wonder God chose me is because I am so awesome. You get to comparing yourselves among yourselves, but you get into the presence of God and I guarantee you, you will recognize your unworthiness. And it's not that God is trying to condemn you or anything. It's just, it's like, you know, you may think that these lights are bright. Man, you wait until you see the glory of God, the light of God. It'll blind you and it just overwhelms anything else. And so this is what happened to me. The Lord showed up and showed me my hypocrisy and my ungodliness. And for an hour and a half, hour and 45 minutes, I just turned myself inside out, confessing every sin that I could think of, um, thinking that God was going to kill me. But before he killed me, I was going to confess everything I could think of so that hopefully when I died, I'd go to heaven instead of to hell. And to my surprise, after I had finally gotten sick of myself and emptied myself, it's just like I threw up all of myself, everything that I had been proud of. And I just blah, let it all out. And I was laying there in a puddle on the floor. And I had ruined my reputation. I was in front of all my friends, the leaders of the church, and I confessed thoughts. I hadn't done a lot of actions as far as other people had done, but man, I'd thought sin and lust and the same as anybody. And I confessed all of my thoughts, all of my desires. I confessed what a hypocrite I was. I confessed my motives for going out and witnessing to people. I didn't care about people. I wanted people to pat me on the back. And 
I confessed everything. I ruined my reputation. I mean, I had nothing left. It was like standing in a place where a bomb had been dropped and everything was charred and burned. There was nothing left. There was nothing to envy at all. And here I was. And all of a sudden, the love I'd been trying to work and earn and get God to give me in return for how good I was doing, I got overwhelmed with a supernatural, unconditional love. I knew it was unconditional because it was the first time in my life I had ever talked to the Lord and related to Him completely separate from any goodness of my own. I had zero goodness, and at that time, the love of God came flooding into my life, and it was awesome. And it changed me, and I tell you what, I've never gotten over it. It'll be in March the 23rd, it'll be 44 years, and I'm more in love with the Lord than I've ever been. And the thing that started it for me, if I hadn't have seen that there was not anything in me that was worth loving, I wouldn't have appreciated when I experienced God's love. If I would have tied it to some worth of my own. Here's another comparison. You know, right now, when we started in ministry, Jamie and I struggled big time. I mean, big time. We went years, probably a decade where we could have died at any time and nobody would have missed us. And uh, I mean, we were just struggling financially and everything. And we struggled and struggled and struggled. And did you know when nothing is going right, it's relatively easy to stay close to the Lord because you aren't going to make it without God. It's bigger than you. And so you turn to the Lord. And man, I mean, I just had to seek the Lord every single day because if I didn't pray and believe God, we wouldn't eat. I mean, it was directly proportional to how much I sought God, whether or not we ate. We would go days without eating. Jamie was eight months pregnant and went over two weeks without one bite of food on a forced fast because we were so poor. We were close to dying. And I mean, we struggled and struggled and struggled and we went through some hard times. Did you know this last year, we got over $30 million in just our U.S. ministry alone. God is blessing us. We're reaching half of the world's population. And my point is, see, that there's some people that will seek God when everything is bad because there isn't anything you're doing that you can cling to. And so when everything is bad, oh God, I just need you. But then when things begin to go good and when now money's coming in and things, you know what? There is a temptation for me to look and say, man, God, look what's happening. And now I know why you saved me and all of this. But you know, the way I got started, I have, I don't have the words to express this. I really struggle sometimes trying to get out what's on the inside of me. But um, I just got emptied of myself 44 years ago. I mean, I, I don't know how to say that, except I can't go there. I cannot take credit for anything that's going on because I know who I am. I have had a revelation of who I am without God, and I know that it's God. Like some of you have heard me say this, but my mother died in 1990, I mean in 2009. And right before she died, I went to visit her and she asked again, would you tell me what God's doing through the ministry? And I was telling her and she was just crying. She was so blessed. I was telling her about all of the things happening all over the world. 
And she, I mean, she was getting real frail and she stuck her little bony finger right straight in my face and she says, Andy, you know this is God. And I said, yes, ma'am, I know that's God. And then she looked at me and she says, you aren't smart enough to do this. <laughs> you know, your mother can really put you in your place, amen. And I didn't have any complaints at all. I mean, I'm, I am not taking credit for what God is doing. The only thing that I can really take credit for is that I've learned that it's not me and I'm getting out of the way and I'm trying to seek God and let God flow through me. But I mean, it is not me. I am not smart enough to do what's happening. I've, I've nearly starved to death and now we are seeing prosperity. And I'm telling you that be, because of the way that God revealed his love to me, I think it's had a bigger impact on me than it has on some people. You know, Jesus said, Who, who's going to love the most? The one who's been forgiven the most. The truth is all of us have been forgiven the exact same thing. But there are many of you that you don't understand how much you've been forgiven. I understand because I have seen my unworthiness. I've never gone out and done some of the things that you've done, but man, I have seen hypocrisy and self-righteousness in the things that I've done. And God revealed that to me. And I've got a revelation of that that many other people don't. And because of it, when God extended this love towards me, I guarantee you, I have never gotten over it. I never plan on getting over it. It changed my life. And so to understand that we're supposed to love others as Christ has loved us, you've got to come to this place that you recognize that Jesus didn't love you because you were lovely. He loved you because of his intense love. And in order to satisfy his intense love, he came and he died for you. And he gave himself for you. And it is completely divorced, separated. There is zero connection between your goodness and God's love for you. And the moment you tie them together, you cheapen God's love. You diminish it. You relate him. You uh, diminish. Uh, what am I trying to say? You pull him down to a human level where we see people. You know, it says over in Romans chapter 5 that many will die for somebody if they've done something good for them. Some will even sacrifice their life for a person who maybe hasn't done anything special, but they're okay. But you won't find anybody that will commend their love to a person that's their enemy and that hates them. But God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, while we were opposed to him, while we were doing our own thing and ignoring him, he died for us. And he died for the sins of the whole world. Even the people that don't accept him, he died and loved them and forgave them of their sins. When people that don't know the Lord go to hell, they go there because of the rejection of the payment for their sins, not because of their individual sins. Jesus paid for all of the homosexuals and all of the adultery and all the lying and stealing and murder. That is not the problem. It just boils down to one thing. What are you going to do with Jesus? That's the only thing that people are held accountable for. And if you reject Jesus, well, then you by default have to spend eternity paying for your sins. But I guarantee you, once you understand how much, how unconditional God's love for you is, it makes it even greater. And see, then when you run into a problem, you don't go up and down in your love relationship because it's not based on you. 
If you're the type of person that your love for the Lord goes up and then down, and sometimes you are just so appreciative of him, and at other times you're so insensitive towards him, it's because you're tying his love to your performance. And when you're doing everything good, you don't need the Lord quite as much. You aren't as aware of him. But then when you fall flat on your face, you run to the Lord, and all of a sudden you have this experience where you experience the love. It's because you got out of yourself and quit relating it to yourself. Jesus, when he was preaching, he had thousands of people want to come and make him king. I think this is in John chapter 6. And he knew that they weren't sincere. And so he began to preach some hard things to them. He says, you aren't seeking me because you really want me to be king. You saw me multiply the food. You got your bellies filled. And you're seeking me because of how it advantages you selfishly. And he just turned the tables and began to start speaking things to them. You're wanting a sign from heaven. Well, I am your sign. Come down from heaven. I am the manna. And they begin to say, you're the manna? Man, Moses, you know, he, he gave manna. You let manna come down from heaven. And he says, I am the manna of God. Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you can't have a relationship with God. And they thought he was talking of cannibalism. They thought he was thinking of physically eating them. They, didn't, they were spiritually dull, and they missed it. And instead of Jesus saying, oh, please don't misunderstand me. See, that's the way that people would respond today. We got such weak Christ preachers today that are afraid that somebody's going to misunderstand them, that they just spend 10 minutes trying to explain all of the ways so that nobody will misunderstand it. And please don't get me wrong. When they misunderstood Jesus and thought they were talking of eating his flesh and drinking his blood, and they said, what are you saying? He said, I say verily unto you that unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you. He made it even worse. <laughs> and this multitude, thousands and thousands and thousands of people left. They wanted to make him king just moments before, but after he preached his message, they all left. Did you know most preachers today would immediately just crumple like, oh God, what's happened? But see, Jesus' identity wasn't in public opinion, whether how many people were coming to his meetings and all of these kind of things. He had an identity that was separate from his performance. Even though his performance was better than any person's performance on the face of this earth, his relationship was with God, and it wasn't dependent upon what was happening in the natural. And because of it, he didn't fall apart like a $2 suitcase when everybody left him. He turned right around to his disciples and said, will you leave? In other words, there's the door. Everybody else is left. Do you want to go? If you want to go, there's the door. He didn't try and coerce anybody. He wasn't holding on to them in desperation because this is what he had to feel good about himself. He was willing to let everybody leave, and it didn't matter because he knew who he was in God. You know, if I was to transfer my self-esteem, I, I think it's more accurate to call it Christ-esteem, if I was to transfer my ego from what Jesus has done for me to what I have done for him, right now we're seeing a lot of good things happen. But the moment I do that... I have just signed my own death warrant. I have just signed my own defeat. Because I can guarantee you, if nothing else, there's going to come a time that I, if the Lord tarries, I'm not going to be as strong as I am today in all of these things. I'm still believing that like Moses, I'll be 120 years old, my natural force not abated, my eyesight dim. But you know what? You do get older. 
and it takes a little bit more effort. And I can guarantee you, if I start transferring my self-worth and my sense of, of satisfaction and God loves me because look what I'm doing, there will come a time that I don't do as well. There will come a time that I mess up. There will come a time that I make a mistake and then my life will go in the tubes because it was tied, God's love and acceptance of me was tied to my performance. But by the grace of God, I'm saying I know that God loves me independent of any good thing in me. He loves me in spite of who I am, not because of who I am. And God's love was revealed to me when I realized I was an absolute hypocrite and everything else. And I know that God's love is unconditional. He doesn't love me more because I'm reaching more people now and doing better and doing things. He doesn't love me one ounce more now than he did back when I was 18 years old and he revealed himself to me. And because of that, there's a stability in my life. I don't go up and down when things are good. I don't all of a sudden get really excited. And when things are bad, I don't get really discouraged. There's a stability. Hebrews 13, 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. If your identity is in Jesus and in who he is that doesn't change, it's the same yesterday, today, and forever, then you will begin to start being stable. If you're the type of person that gets really excited and happy, that's because you're in the flesh and when everything in the natural is going good, your excitement is right up there. But then when something goes bad, you can get just as low as you got high. That's because you are in the flesh and it's all based on external physical things. I'm telling you, it's a beginning place, I think, to understand that God's love for you is completely separate from anything that you've done to deserve it. You didn't do anything to deserve it. Therefore, you can't do anything to turn him away from it. God loves you unconditionally. And if you could ever get a revelation of that and understand it, then the worth of that love would increase exponentially because it was all God. It wasn't anything about you. It has nothing to do with your goodness. You were dead in trespasses and sins. By grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And man, if you could get hold of that, I guarantee you, I'd put a shout and a stump. That'd make anybody begin to praise God to think that, God, why would you love me? There, I don't love myself lots of times. And yet God Almighty loves you. If you could understand that, I guarantee you, you, you could spend the rest of your life trying to dedicate yourself to, oh God, I want to plumb the depths of this. And not only do I want to get the full revelation, but man, you will want to spend the rest of your life sharing this with other people. It's nearly too good to be true. When you tell people that God loves you because you've done something good, well then... That puts a tremendous amount of burden and responsibility on you to keep doing good in order to keep that love coming. But when you understand that God loved you, he commended his love toward us in that while we were yet a sinner, Christ died for us. We didn't deserve it. Then there is a freedom and a liberty in this. I can't do anything that's going to drive God off. I don't have to keep performing. It doesn't put responsibility on my shoulders to keep God loving me. Now, as Arthur mentioned a number of times this morning, that's not to say that there aren't consequences to sin. 
You know, if I right now went out and started living in sexual sin and went to stealing money and doing things, I guarantee you there would be consequences and it would affect this ministry and it would affect the things that God is doing, but it wouldn't affect God's love for me. But there would be consequences. I'd be absolutely stupid to go out and do it. But God would still love me, stupid. Amen? So we aren't saying that there's no consequences and that we shouldn't love God, but I don't want to go do those things because, man, I'm enjoying the love of God. I'm enjoying His benefits. I am so appreciative of what He's doing. I don't want to do anything that's hurting what God's doing in my life. Amen? Man, I pray that you're understanding this. I got a lot more to share, but I'm going to let you go. I'm over time. But you, I'm just praying that God will give you a revelation that He loves you completely separate from yourself. And it, and it takes a revelation because there isn't a physical example of this in the natural world. Your employer doesn't hire you independent of your performance. It's all performance-based. Sad to say, your wives, if they were perfect, they would love you independent of your performance. But all of us have imperfect wives. And you know what? They will give you what you deserve. You mess up, they'll tell you about it. They'll let you know. And so really, we don't have a role model for this. And it's just, it's counterintuitive. It goes against your natural reasoning. You've never been taught this. You've never experienced unconditional love. But I'm telling you, God's love for you is completely separate from any worth, any value, any performance on your part. God loves you because He is love. And if you could understand that, man, it would just transform your life. So I'm going to continue to talk about this tonight and share some things that I think will help you. Father, I love you, and I thank you for the way that you love us. Thank you that because of your great love and in order to satisfy your great love only, you gave your son for us and died for us. Thank you so much. And I'm just praying that the Holy Spirit would take these things that I've said today and that you would apply it to every person's life and that we would begin to start truly glorifying you and understanding the tremendous gift that you gave us of Jesus coming and dying for our sins, that we didn't deserve it. Father, we deserve just the opposite. I believe that the Holy Spirit helps explain this to every single person. And that, Father, we would get a deeper, greater revelation of your unconditional love for us. And we agree and receive that in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, Gary, do you need to give any directions about anything for the rest of the day? No, just the lunch is over there. Okay, we got lunch where? Out in the break room. And so you can go out there. Is it a sack lunch? All right, so box lunch out here, one thirty. we have our meeting start in here, or the bowling starts. How do they get to the bowling alley? Do they? All right, so if you signed up at the table, they have directions and all of that stuff. Bird dog barbecue at 5 o'clock, amen. You're dismissed. <laughs>